Thursday morning, the vast majority of us will do one of two things. First option is you'll get up in the morning, you'll start to make preparations for the Thanksgiving meal. You'll, you'll uh, stuff the turkey, you'll get prepared for cooking, uh, maybe throw some bread in the oven, wash the vegetables, peel the potatoes, boil the potatoes, cranberry sauce taken out of a can, bake some pies, set the table, and get ready for the guests, family and, and friends. The second option is if you're like me, you'll get up, you'll take the dog for a walk, you'll lounge around, um, help maybe get the kids ready, pile in the van, and then drive the full three miles to mom and dad's house and help them get prepared there. Either way, there's a, on Thanksgiving, there's a lot of food, there's a lot of family, and there's a lot of preparation. Now, Thanksgiving has been that way for me for as long as I can remember. Uh, growing up about, um, oh, maybe 75 miles or so north of here, I have memories of rising early on Thanksgiving, of taking care of the, the cattle and the horses, and after that was done, my brother and my dad and I would grab our shotguns and we'd go hunting. Uh, we'd look for pheasant or quail, and usually the weather was, was cool and the wind was maybe brisk. The sun would be bright, and we'd hunt for a couple hours, and depending on our luck, we'd come back with anywhere from zero to several pheasant and quail. After we would dress them, Mom would include them along with our turkey for our main course, and we'd stuff ourselves and we'd lay around on the floor moaning. Uh, we'd watch football on TV until we'd drag ourselves outside and play tackle football with whether cousins happened to show up. And after all that, we'd go back inside and have leftovers. Does that sound familiar to maybe any of you? Yeah, here we go. For decades, people have celebrated Thanksgiving with family gatherings, a, a cornucopia of food, family, friends, and relaxation. But of course, one element that must never, ever be forgotten, which is central is taking time to give thanks, to thank God for all that he has done for us and through us. Now, this tradition of, of, of giving thanks on Thanksgiving, as far as we know, as we know, was started in this country back in the, in the fall of 1621. But the setting was very different then than it is today. The first Thanksgiving, if you know your history, uh, included a group of pilgrims who had crossed the Atlantic Ocean on the Mayflower the year before. And what circumstances were so pleasant and so abundant, so wonderful, that they took time to focus their thanks upon, to quote their leader, Edward Winslow, the goodness of God? Was it their constant struggle with diseases like typhus and scurvy? Was it the dying of 12 of the 18 married women in their group? Was it their struggle to produce enough food to, to keep themselves fed? No, this hardy, determined bunch of pilgrims gave thanks because they were they were resolved to as the apostle paul tells us in first corinthians excuse me first thessalonians 5:18 to give thanks in all circumstances now what does it mean to give thanks in all circumstances does that mean we are to adopt a, um, an attitude of blind optimism of being sort of a pollyanna of pretending that things are good when maybe they're not. Whatever, what does it mean to give thanks in all circumstances? Are we to even thank God when our circumstances are difficult and, and painful and hard? You know, Luke has given us this story from the life of, of Jesus a story that many of us have known since we were in Sunday school as little kids, 
about these ten lepers and the one that, that comes back and says thank you. And, and this story is an important one. It helps me reflect upon the importance of being thankful to God's goodness to me. It can help us grow in our understanding of this important issue. You see, in the story of the ten lepers, Luke emphasizes the rarity of a truly thankful spirit. Now, a couple of things that joint, jump out to me uh, from this story before we continue. Uh, in the first verse, verse 11 that was read, we see that Jesus is traveling along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And, and this meant that Jesus was in an area where there would have been a mix of, of peoples. There would, have been, there would have been Jewish people, there would have been Gentile people, and there would have been people who were called Samaritans, who were kind of a mix, the intermarriage between Jews and, and Gentiles. And in this group, this, this group of ten lepers, this small little leper colony, no doubt there would have been a mix between all these different groups, which I guess implies to us and shows us that, that when things get tough in a situation for a group of people, uh, barriers and indifferences tend to melt away, and they're all one together. Something else that uh, I want to draw our attention to is the connection between uh, gratitude and faith. All ten men had faith. They all followed Jesus' command. They went to the, to the priests, and they were healed along the way. They all had faith. But only one came back and showed the faith and the, and the perspective to come back to Jesus and to say thank you. And that's where Jesus says in verse 17, your faith has made you well. So again, I think there's an implication that there's a connection, a correlation between uh, the depth of, of a person's gratitude and the depth of that person's faith and maturity. You know, gratitude really is a rarely expressed emotion in our, in our culture. And more and more, we read about and see this idea of, of entitlement. Um, but gratitude is something that God calls us to, is central to what it means to be a, a believer in Christ. There's a story about a man who... Uh, needed to learn gratitude. He was riding at the post office one day, and he was approached by an older guy who had a postcard in his hand. The man said, you know, my hand's a little shaky, so could you, could you, could you address this postcard for me? The man gladly did, and, and, and he even agreed to write a short message on the postcard and, and then signed it for the man, too. Finally, the man doing the writing said to the older guy, is there anything else that you need from me that I can do for you? The older fellow thought for a minute and said, Yes. At the end, could you please just put, P.S., please excuse the sloppy handwriting. <laughs> I mean, how often do we hear people express sincere gratitude? You try an experiment. Keep track during the course of your day how many times you hear complaints and how many times you hear somebody say thank you, a sincere expression of gratitude. Maybe try that experiment with yourself. Gratitude is from the same root word as the word grace. And a person who has begun to accept how gracious God is to them becomes a grateful person. Thanksgiving is from the same root word as the word think. So to think about life accurately is to thank God continuously in the midst of life. Paul says in Colossians 4.2, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. A person who's not thankful is a, often a person who lacks joy. 
So let's give three simple reasons to be thankful this this Thanksgiving season. First, we are to be thankful for all the resources, all the blessings that God has given us. As the old gospel hymn says, count your blessings. Psalm 103 verse 2 says, praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And what are some of the benefits we have from God? We have life. We have family. We have friends. We live in a a beautiful world. We've been given the ability to to give and receive love. We are created in God's image for a relationship with him. And of course, the greatest blessing we have is the gift of Jesus Christ, God's only son. What are you thankful for today? Now, I realize that some of us here today may be having some problems in our lives. It could be an illness. It could be a relationship problem. It could be depression, all sorts of things that that could make it difficult to be thankful. But but I guarantee that whatever the difficulty we might be facing, if we can sit down and without much trouble come up with a list of at least 10, 12, 15, maybe even more things for which we can be thankful and give God thanks. Gratitude is probably the best therapy for a troubled spirit. A second reason to be thankful is the providence of God. Over and above and beyond all things that happen, God is at work in this world and in our lives. He's guiding, he's, he's directing, and he's bringing about his purposes. In the Old Testament story of Job, remember Job, all sorts of calamities and, and, and trials and tests in his life, all sorts of loss. And at the end of the book, Job says he's learned one thing, that the purposes of God would not be thwarted and would not be frustrated. If we can accept that and apply that, we will always be able to give thanks. In her book, The Hiding Place, Corey Ten Boom tells about an incident that taught her the principle of giving thanks in all things. Um, it was during World War II, and Corey and her sister Betsy were housing and, and protecting uh, Jewish people. Uh, the Nazis discovered this, and they were arrested along with the Jewish that, people that they were harboring, and they were all imprisoned and thrown into a concentration camp. The barracks where Corey and her sister Betsy were living were extremely crowded and infested with fleas. It was not a nice place to live, very hard place. And one morning, as they were reading in their tattered Bible from 1 Thessalonians 5, the reminder to rejoice in all things came up. Betsy said, Corey, we've got to give thanks for this barracks and even these fleas. Corey replied, no way am I giving thanks to God for fleas. But Bessie was persuasive, and they did thank God even for the fleas. During the months that followed, they found that their barracks were left virtually unalone, or were left alone by the guards. And because of that, they could do Bible study, they could talk openly, they could even pray together. It was their only place of, of refuge in a horrible situation. It was only seven, several months later that they learned that the reason the guards never entered the barracks was because of those blasted fleas. Sometimes we can see clearly God at work in our lives. Other times we can't. It's, it's fuzzy. It's frustrating. We're not sure what's, what's going on, what's the purpose of what's happening. But God is always, always doing something. And God is always, always working on behalf of his children. Romans 8.28, this wonderful promise. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. His providence, the things that he provides, 
the things he works out for our good, the blessings he gives us, when we focus on those things and all the things that we don't have and all the things that we would like differently in our lives, when we focus on all that God has done for us, is doing for us, and will do for us, how can we not be thankful? The third reason for giving thanks to God is simply that we're commanded to. We're told over and over again throughout the scripture, give thanks to the Lord for this is good, for this is right. Give thanks to the Lord for all his benefits, so on and so forth. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Paul says we are to be joyful always. We are to pray continually and we are to give thanks to God in all circumstances. Why? For this is God's will for us, for you in Christ Jesus. I mean, isn't that why so much of our worship is devoted to being thankful, giving thanks to God? Choosing as an act of the will to thank God in whatever circumstances are in our lives. So spiritual maturity and perspective. It not only pleases God, but it takes our lives and our problems and puts them in proper perspective. John Henry Jowett, a British preacher of an earlier generation, said this about gratitude. He said, gratitude is a vaccine, an antitoxin, and an antiseptic. What does he mean by that? He meant that gratitude like a vaccine can prevent the invasion of of a disgruntled, discouraged spirit. And that gratitude like an antitoxin can prevent the effects of the poisons of cynicism and criticalness and and grumbling. And and that gratitude like an antiseptic can soothe and, and heal the most troubled of spirits. To stop in the middle of a situation and simply breathe a three word prayer. Thank you, Lord can change everything. If you want to be a joyful person, you must develop an attitude of gratitude. A thankful spirit produces a joyful person. You know, one of the things I've observed in ministry, but also just in life in general, is that people who focus on their difficulties to the exclusion of almost everything else can be challenging people to be around. But people who focus on their blessings are a blessing to be around, no matter their circumstances. Now, a caveat here. There's certainly nothing wrong with experiencing sorrow or pain or concern about difficult circumstances and situations. Jesus himself, throughout the course of his life on earth, there were times he wept, he showed compassion, he had sympathy. But Jesus said, in this world we will have trouble. But gratitude is the ground out of which a peaceful, thankful, trusting spirit can develop. Because our human tendency is to do what? To focus on our problems rather than on our blessings. I, uh, there's a story, a hypothetical story, about the devil having a, a, a garage sale. And all of his tools were marked at high prices, different prices. He had listed hatred and jealousy, deceit, lying, and pride, all these tools that he used. But over to the side of the yard on display was a tool more obviously worn than any of the other tools. It was also the most costly, and the tool was labeled discouragement. When questioned about it, the devil said, It's more useful to me than any other tool. When I can't bring down my victims with any of the rest of these tools, I use discouragement. Because so few people realize that it belongs to me. 
you know, the enemy of, of, just, of joy, the enemy of gratitude is, is discouragement. It causes us to want to quit. It causes us to focus on what we don't have instead of what we do. It causes us to emphasize what's going wrong in our lives instead of what's good and right. If we're going to learn to live productive, joyful, grateful lives, we must learn to deal with discouragement and overcome it. A man who did is believed by many to be the greatest president we've ever had. When he was seven years of age, his family was forced out of his home and he went to work. When he was nine, his mother died. He lost his job as a store clerk when he was 20. He wanted to go to law school, but he didn't have the education. At age 23, he went into debt to be a partner in a small store. But then three years later, his partner died and the resulting debt fell on him and took years to repay. When he was 28, after courting a girl for four years, he asked her to marry him. She said no. On his third try, he was elected to Congress, but then failed to be reelected. His son died at four years of age. When he was 45, he ran for the Senate and lost. 47, ran for the vice presidency, lost. But at age 51, he was elected president of the United States. We know him as Abraham Lincoln. Did you know that it was Abraham Lincoln who, in the midst of the Civil War, the darkest hour in our nation's history in 1863, it was him, it was he who established the National Celebration Day of Thanksgiving? He learned how important it was to stop and thank God even in the midst of the worst difficulties. What discourages you, or maybe is discouraging you this morning? People of every age have problems eventually, don't we? Young people might not like their face or their figure or their friends or their grades or their success in sports or plays or whatever. And a few years later, the problems become different. Maybe not enough money. The job isn't working out. Perhaps divorce, infertility, problems with the children, death of loved ones. There are three options for dealing with discouragement. The first is simply to give in to it. Let it overwhelm you. Let it eat at you. Become depressed and negative and hopeless as the disappointments keep coming. Second option is we can deny the problem. My husband really doesn't have a drinking problem. This sickness really isn't anything to worry about. The, the money's going to work itself out. My kids are going to be okay despite their issues. But that doesn't really help. A third way is to face our problems with realism and with faith, thanking God even in the midst of them. You know, people who are truly thankful, who have an enduring attitude of gratitude, curiously are not always those who have the, quote, best life, the most money, the most health, the most prestige, the most achievement. If you travel in a third world country and you interact with the people, you see that there's no correlation between what we have and, and our happiness and our joy and our gratitude. So many people in these places have far less, and yet they're thankful for family, for friends, for faith, and they're full of joy and gratitude. True gratitude is not the natural byproduct of good fortune. Instead, those who tend to be the most thankful are those who have determined to be the most thankful, who have the proper perspective on what God has done for them, 
Gratitude is an attitude that we must adopt. It's a matter of will. It's a muscle that we must exercise to remain vital and effective and growing in our faith in Christ. And so this morning, what we're going to do before I close in just a second is we're going to exercise that, that muscle of gratitude. And we're, we're going to do like the people of Israel did for centuries and as the church has done for centuries. And we're going to recite one of the Psalms that, that, that really highlights what God has done for us. It's one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 103. I'm going to read the odd-numbered verses, and you can respond reading with me the even-numbered verses. It'll be on the screen behind. Let's give thanks to God. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels. You mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. You know, every single day, God does amazing, incredible things for us. For us as individuals, for our families, for our church, for our our country, for our world. He has placed us on this amazing spinning globe we call Earth, a beautiful place for us to, to live and enjoy His creation. He has created us in His image for a relationship with Him forever. He has given His own, His very Son, to die for our sin. When we, th- when we focus on what God has done for us in the past, it in turn helps us to see what He's doing in the present which then gives us confidence about his goodness to us in our future. You know, when you think about it, we are so blessed to live where we do in this time in history, a place of incredible opportunity for us as individuals. We have freedom to pursue our dreams and to help our kids pursue their dreams. 
the vast majority of the world does not have the opportunities that we do. We have been spared much of the plagues, uh, much of what plagues the rest of the world, widespread hunger, disease, war. Our standard of living is among the highest in the world. Our educational opportunities are off the charts. And even with all its problems, our healthcare system provides the best medical care on the planet. For whatever reason, we have been blessed to live in a time, in a country, in a place which is unsurpassed in human history in its opportunities. Why is that? Is it because we're smarter, better looking, harder working, more righteous? Or is it because God has graciously placed us in such a place at such a time with our own worthiness, having nothing to do with it? God has blessed us beyond what we deserve, beyond what we can ever, ever hope for. How will we respond? Jesus concluded in, 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 in Luke concludes the story by saying, weren't nine others healed? Where are they? Will you be one of the nine? Or will you like the leper who was healed, who came back to Jesus? Will you give thanks to the Lord in all circumstances at all times? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this day. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for your presence in our lives. God, we are humbled because we know that so many of the things we have in our lives, we don't deserve them. We haven't earned them. We just happen to be blessed to be placed in a time in in history where we have so many opportunities, so many material goods, so many things that make our lives easier. Lord, help us not to take those things ever for granted. Help us, Lord, to be people who are humble, who are grateful, who give thanks in all circumstances, both good and and bad. Help us, Lord, to develop a grateful heart, an attitude of gratitude, all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.